0: Well, good morning, everybody. It's good to see you. If you looked in your bulletin, you'll see that Ben Lose is preaching on John 1 today. And I'm not Ben Lose. He's taller and has more hair than I do. And we're not going to be in John 1 today. We'll be in a couple of different passages. But let me introduce myself. I'm Mark Olson, and I'm one of the elders here. Uh, for 13 years of my career, I was an English teacher, and I suppose that's why I started to collect para sentences. These are figures of speech where the end is surprising or unexpected in a way that causes you to rethink the first part. Some examples, and this ties in with Leah's message. Knowledge is knowing a tomato is a fruit, but wisdom is knowing not to put it in a fruit salad. Light travels faster than sound, and this is why some people appear bright until they talk. (laughs) Going to church makes you a Christian like standing in a garage makes you a car. (laughs) I didn't say it was your fault. I said I was blaming you. And... If I could just say a few words, I'd be a better public speaker. Well, Jesus was the master of a pair sentences. We find them in the Gospels. Here's one. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. I think what Jesus is getting at here is that when we give up, when we yield and we submit, then we gain. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. Yielding, submission, and our relationship to authority. So let's saddle up. A piece of today's message I first wrote in 1999. I'd been a Christian for 16 years, and I gave the message the week before our old church extended a call to our new pastor. And on that occasion, the subject of authority and submission seemed appropriate. But as I reread my original uh, text yesterday, some of it seemed a little naive. Because the world has changed a lot since 1999, and so have I. I've been a Christian for almost 39 years now, and I've continued to think about submission and authority, and I want to reflect on that with you this morning. Some of my thinking has been spurred by our current political climate. Some stems from thinking about our social, economic, and racial tensions, the ones we live with, and some comes out of thinking about the pandemic, and some of it just comes out of thinking about my own life. All that to say there are a lot of landmines for us to navigate this morning because submission and authority are terms that are laden with unfortunate cultural baggage. But my hope is that you'll receive our time this morning for what it is, it's just me, talking out loud about some things the Bible says about authority and submission. Well, it seems to me that submission to authority not only protects us, but it's an excellent spiritual thermometer. I would suggest that it's our best measure of spiritual maturity. Our willingness to submit and the attitude with which we submit tell us more about our spiritual life than almost any other thing about us. Why is that? Well, because the natural human response to authority is defiance, not submission. Just think of the first story in the Bible. I mean, at its root, Adam and Eve's failure in the garden was a failure to submit, to yield to what God had said. And since that first act of defiance, the human will is only hardened And the only remedy for our hardened wills is the supernatural power of the Spirit of God. Now, thankfully, for those who have been born again, that supernatural power is completely accessible. And here's what I mean. When someone becomes a believer, a disciple of Jesus, the Bible tells us that God, in the person of the Holy Spirit, comes to live within us. And this indwelling of the Spirit eternally seals us, and He empowers us to live a life that is being transformed into Christ's likeness. Now one of our texts this morning is Ephesians 5, so if you have your Bible, we'll be in a couple of different passages, but here's, here's the place where we're going to start. Ephesians 5, verse 15, Paul describes this empowering as being filled with the Spirit. Here's what he says. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that's debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. So Paul places being filled with the Spirit over against being unwise, dilatory, foolish, and drunk. Then he goes on to characterize being filled with the Spirit in terms of the internal workings of our minds and the outpouring of our hearts in worship and gratitude. Here's what he says in verses 19 and 20. Be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs Singing, making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then Paul completes the thought. He says, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. In other words, a heart filled with the Spirit is characterized by a submissive posture. And that means our willingness to submit to authority is a benchmark that we can use to mark our progress towards spiritual maturity and sanctification. So we know as believers we're to submit to one another, but in what other domains of our lives might we be required to submit? Well, in Ephesians, Paul helps us consider our call to submit in terms of the relationships we have with others. And these relationships belong in several different buckets. The first of these categories is submission within the home. In Ephesians, Paul describes how the relationships of husbands, wives, and children are to operate within the bounds of properly exercised authority and submission. Second category is submission directly to God and to those with authority in the church. Also in Ephesians 5, Paul states that the church is to submit to Christ. In James 4, 7, we read we're to submit to God. In 2 Thessalonians, we're commanded to submit to God's written word. Now Peter gives us a, a really beautiful picture of what submission within the church can look like. In 1 Peter chapter 5, this is what he says. I exhort the elders among you, And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. Sounds like Paul, doesn't it? For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. That's a beautiful picture of how submission should work in the church. Well, a third category of authority and submission involves institutions outside the church and the family. As believers, we are to submit to civil authorities. Again, here's Peter. Be subject for the the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. That's a, that's a tall order. But there's more. I think we have to acknowledge that while it grates against our 21st century sensibilities, the New Testament does not advocate for Christian bondservants to behave defiantly towards their masters. Okay, at this point, we should pause and say a word about just how far this submission thing should go. Now, if anyone's looking for an out, for a way to avoid the the inconvenience of submission, this isn't it. In fact, just after Peter's admonition to bondservants, he says this, For to submission you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, so that you might follow in his steps." And what exactly is the example of Christ? Where is the example of Christ's submission? Well, there are many, but Philippians chapter 2, beginning in verse 5, is a famous, is a famous description of this. Here's what Paul says: Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God... Did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient, how far? To the point of death, even death on a cross. So Christ, the God of the universe, took the form of a servant, he humbled himself, he submitted to the Father's will, even to the point of death. So as these passages have shown us, submission may require us to defer to those in authority beyond what we might find comfortable so what I hope we've, we've seen thus far is that submission, not defiance, should be the believer's default response to authority. Okay, but really, Mark, when God commands us to be filled with the Spirit and live rightly within relationships of authority and submission, He can't really expect us to yield to every pompous little authority figure over us. Surely, He doesn't expect us to submit in the face of unfair authority. Well, let's see what Scripture says. Famous passage, Romans chapter 13. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed and those who resist will incur judgment. Therefore, one must be in subjection not only to avoid God's wrath but also for the sake of conscience. Okay, so according to this passage, which authority figures have not been given to us by God? None. So then, which ones are we given permissions to defy? None. So, are there no occasions when it's right for a believer to defy authority? Well, I wouldn't say there are no occasions. I would say there are far fewer than I might like to think. But certainly there are instances in the Scriptures when believers rightly disobeyed authority. If you've got your Bible, turn to Acts chapter 5. Think of the apostles here in Acts chapter 5, beginning uh, in verse uh, 17. But the high priest rose up, all who were with him, and filled with jealousy, they arrested the apostles and put them in public prison. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors brought them out and said, go and stand in the temple, speak to the people all the words of this life. And when they heard this, they entered the temple at daybreak and began to teach. Okay, so of course they get rearrested and they're brought before the high priest. And so in verse 28, the high priest says, we strictly charged you not to teach in this name. Yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us? But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than men. We must obey God rather than men. There it is. When a person or institution seeks to compel a believer to obey men rather than God then the believer must disobey, must defy the authority. But here's the question. How do I determine when defiance is called for? Well, first I need to remember that my default response should be submission. And when I feel the urge to defy authority, I should immediately become suspicious of my motives. I know myself well enough to know. But suppose it seems clear that in a situation I'm being pushed to obey men rather than God. What should I do to ensure that my defiance is warranted? Are there any scriptural examples of someone in such a position? Well, yes. I think Daniel can give us some really useful tools for thinking about authority and submission. Turning your Bibles to Daniel chapter 1. As you do that, let's just recall what's going on in Daniel's life. It's the 6th century BC. Babylon has invaded Judah and taken a big swath of the people and the royal house into exile. Daniel, part of Israel's educated class, and as such, he was targeted to work in the Nebuchadnezzar administration. This meant that Daniel was going to attend Babylon University. After three years, Daniel would officially be an assimilated Babylonian. They changed his name to identify him with a Mesopotamian god. They insisted that he eat at the king's training table. And all of this was part of the process to absorb Daniel into the Babylonian culture. But in Daniel 1, it was, eating at the, it was eating the king's food that was problematic for Daniel. See, the food was surely not in keeping with the food laws of the Torah. And furthermore, the wine was likely defiled through religious sacrifice. And in any case, this was Daniel's I must obey God rather than men moment. Let's read Daniel 1. Daniel resolved So, you would endanger my head with the king. Daniel said to the steward Test your servants for ten days. Let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our appearance and the appearance of the ewes who eat the king's food be observed by you. And deal with your servants according to what you see. So he listened to them in this matter and tested them for ten days. At the end of ten days, it was seen that they were better in appearance than all the ewes who ate the king's food. So the steward took away their food and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables. That sounds terrible, but that's what he did. So how did Daniel work through his I must obey God rather than men moment? And what in his response might be helpful to us? when we are facing our own moment. Well, first, Daniel identified specifically how obeying this authority would be dishonoring to God. Daniel knew his Torah, and it was pretty clear to him that eating the king's food, drinking the king's wine, would defile him and dishonor God. Notice that Daniel objects to a very narrow slice of what he's being asked to do. If we remember the life of Daniel, he becomes a chief administrator in Nebuchadnezzar's court. What else does he do? In verse 8, Daniel resolved. He made up his mind. I think of him as he's checking his conscience. He took inventory of his motives for defying the king's order. Third. He tried to determine what the authority was trying to accomplish. In verse 10, he seeks to learn the why. What's the aim of this diet? He asked about the purpose, and it seems to Daniel that the purpose is legit. His health, his fitness for service is the aim. Fourth thing he does, Daniel proposed an alternative that would accomplish the king's purpose but without dishonoring God. He proposed a test to see if after eating the vegetables, his health would be as good or better than the others. Fifth, he appealed respectfully to the authority. Sixth, he gave God time to work. And lastly, Daniel resigned himself to the consequences of obeying God rather than men. Now, of course, not all of the things that Daniel did are applicable to every situation we might find ourselves in. But I think if nothing else, thinking like Daniel can help us determine if our own circumstances are truly and obeying God rather than man moment, or is it just a mark just once his own way moment? Parents, just, just a word here. If your kids haven't yet gotten crossways of your authority or someone else's authority, I guarantee you they will. So let me encourage you to work through Daniel's process with them, especially help them to learn and articulate the aim of those in authority and then help them make a value judgment about that aim. And then if the authority's purpose is legitimate, help them look for ways to achieve that purpose without compromising. If it's not legitimate, then that's a time for us as parents to step in. But even in that instance, it's a terrific way to teach about getting along in the real world. Finally, if after all that, your child discovers that the purpose is legitimate, but there is no other reasonable way to achieve the aim other than what the authority demands... If your child gets to that point, then you should go into the other room and do the happy dance, because they've achieved a level of moral reasoning that lots of adults never get to. Well, at this point, if I were you, I would, I would say, well, Mark, have you ever had any obey God rather than men moments? Well, I'm 61, so of course I have. Uh, Some I handled well, others I did not do so well. Uh, Just to give you an example, I worked in public education for 30 years, both as an English teacher and as an administrator. I recall as a teacher when the district said to teach this novel or assign this essay topic, but it just didn't feel right. In my experience, taking Daniel's model was sometimes a pretty good guide to a reasonable solution in those those instances. Another example, uh, Sally and I were part of a church where our theological convictions didn't always align with the theological traditions of the church we were at, but we felt called. We felt like God was calling us to be at this church But in order to fully participate, we had to decide just how important those differences were. Was this truly an obeying God moment? Obeying God rather than men moment? Or again, was this just Mark wants his own way moment? Well, we stayed. I like to wind up our time by circling back to the role of the Spirit in our thinking about submission and authority and make some observations. In particular, as submission and authority relate to the fruit of the Spirit. You all remember we went through the fruit of the Spirit here a while back in Galatians 5. Let me just read this to you. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. So question, how are authority and submission related to love? Well, was the submission of Christ to his Father motivated by love? Yeah. Or perhaps more on our level, think of how Paul describes love in 1 Corinthians 13. Love does not insist on its own way. How about joy? Remember the disciples who did not resist their Jewish persecutors, but instead we are told that after they were flogged, the disciples were filled with joy. What about peace? Doesn't so much of my anxiety stem from me trying to assert my rights? Wouldn't submitting to the sovereign providence of God bring me greater peace? How about patience? Why am I impatient? I think it's because what I think I deserve isn't coming fast enough. Wouldn't giving up my right to what I think I deserve yield greater patience? How about kindness? When I'm unkind, it's often an expression of misplaced authority. I seem to believe that some person is responsible for thwarting the desire I have at the moment. And I become unkind when I fail to submit and recognize that my struggle is not against flesh and blood. How about goodness? Why do I fail to do good? Isn't it because I'm preoccupied with getting what I want? With asserting my will? With asserting my rights? Faithfulness. When I insist on my own way, when I obsess over how some perceived slight diminishes my standing in the world... And then I pursue my own vengeance rather than relying on the Lord's justice. That's when I show my lessness, Gentleness, why am I not gentle? Isn't it because I've forgotten that I am not my own? I have been bought at a price. I have nothing that hasn't been given to me. And to be rough with another soul is to forget my own utter dependence on the grace of God. Last one self control. Without self control, all of my good intentions are just wishful thinking. But in the power of the Spirit, self control is possible. Listen to the Apostle Paul from, from Romans chapter 8 here. He says, To set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit. To God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you. So being bound to the Spirit of Christ brings peace. And being bound to the Spirit of Christ means we yield to those in authority over us, so that our defiance doesn't hinder the advancement of the gospel. Let me close with the example of Paul. He's at the end of his life. He knows he's a goner. This is what he says. Now, I'm going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, which is another way of saying submitted to the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Spirit tells me that in every city, imprisonment and affliction awaits me. But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received, that I submitted to from the Lord Jesus, to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. I pray that would be all of our examples. As we live our life this week, let me pray. Heavenly Father, you call us to be submissive people because your Son was submissive to you. He yielded to your will, and we've been given that example. I pray that we would be a submissive people, most of all, submissive to your word into the guidance of the Spirit. In Christ's name. Amen.